Hello, and thanks for tuning in to episode 75 of Taste Radio Insider. I'm Ray Latif, the editor and producer of Taste Radio, and I'm with my Bevnet and Nosh colleagues, John Craven, Mike Schneider, and Martin Caballero. We're recording from the Taste Radio studio at Bevnet headquarters in Watertown, Mass. And in this episode, we're joined by Bill Siff, the founder and CEO of adaptogenic beverage brand Gold Thread. Just a reminder, if you like what you hear on Taste Radio, please share the podcast with friends and colleagues. And of course, would love it if you could review us on the Apple Podcasts app or your listening platform of choice. Obviously, we hope to be in Anaheim at Expo West 2020 at this point of the week. We are not. We're back here in the Boston area, as I mentioned, in Watertown, Mass. Uh, That is because Expo West was postponed. Bummer, 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 bummer. John Craven, how uh, are you managing your time with this this week? Yeah, no, it's it's really weird to uh, go from a week that you've had blocked off for like forever to, I don't know, it's uh, I guess been maybe kind of a productive week because there's nothing on my calendar at all. There's nothing on your calendar, but we had a lot of stuff planned. I mean, I had a lot of interviews yeah, planned. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, you go from canceling everything and everybody's canceling everything basically for this week uh, or has. So yeah, I mean... It is what it is. It's a sucky situation for for everyone. I mean, you know, lots of uh, exhibitors scrambling to get their stuff back that's out there or money back, you know, and I think everyone just kind of hopes that uh, we rebound from this and move on. Obviously, we want everyone involved to be successful um, in this event. And for us, it's certainly one of the biggest opportunities to get news for the year. And certainly we had a lot of stuff planned. It's tough, but I think um, from what we've heard from brands and not just brands, but just exhibitors and just people in the industry has been really, you know, there's been a lot of support within the industry. And I think people are reacting in, in sort of the best possible way, trying to adapt to the situation. And um, and so are we over here on sort of the news gathering side of things. So, yeah, it's a tough situation. I wish it was there right now, but uh from what we've heard, it's uh, sort of making the best out of a tough, tough situation. Lemonade out of lemons, as they would say. Appropriate. Yes. But Expo West has become such a big event. It's almost like almost like a season, you know, and, and now the rhythm of the industry is is thrown off. You've got retailers who are going who are expecting to go to this event and meet all these brands. And new brands in particular have been giving us, you know, calls and sending us emails and saying, you know, what what should we do now? And we're encouraging brands to continue to send us their news. We're still covering all of the would have been releases and you know, would have been debuts and package refreshes and line extensions and all of that. So continue to go to BevNet and Nosh.com to send us your news. And it's also been nice to pop onto LinkedIn and see how the community is kind of coming together, uh, industry veterans and entrepreneurs uh, advising and working with younger folks, younger brands and their uh, leaders through this kind of difficult time. We've also seen some service companies and suppliers offering virtual meetings. And I mean, that kind of stuff is just totally indicative of the great environment, the sort of community that we've come to recognize and come to expect out of food and beverage. And I I love it. Marty, you've been taking points along with uh, some of the other uh, editors and reporters uh, at BevNet and Nosh regarding coverage of the event that didn't happen or hasn't happened yet. You know, out of Expo West, you'd probably have, what, 15, 20 stories for the next four weeks or so. Um, how are you kind of tackling this? How should entrepreneurs and brand owners, you know, approach you and approach the editorial team to get that news out? 
Well, we have published a little bit and we're going to continue to be rolling out today and for the rest of this week, some of the stuff that we had sort of lined up. Uh, I've been speaking with uh, with brands and exhibitors and um, people sharing their Expo West news ahead of the show. So we have a few things that will be rolling out this week. Um, we also had a slideshow yesterday featuring a lot of products that uh, you probably would have seen at the show floor. So basically, um, you know, it, it's kind of as we really try to do here is really just keep the lines of communication open. Um, please email us, phone calls, texts, get in touch and share your news. Um, we're dealing with a large volume right now, so um, we're sort of working our way through it. But we are definitely planning to cover all the different categories and products and brands that would have been at this year's show and really just try to continue to be a place where you guys can stay up to date on all the news and stuff that's going on in the industry. So that will definitely continue. And um, yeah, just please reach out and we'll do the same. Yeah, I mean, in addition to all of the news coverage and, you know, galleries and stuff that we're trying to put together, I mean, I think we're just trying to recognize the fact that sometime next week, I think everyone's kind of going to realize, like, I'm not flooded with all those new contacts and all those post-expo follow-ups. And, you know, look, we're not going to be flush with all those, hey, we got to get this sample of that thing that we tried. You know, I think we're all kind of in the same boat of just trying to figure this out. I can only speak on behalf of our team here, but, you know, we're doing our best to try and create stuff that hopefully, you know, I don't think it'll make up for like all the exposure and the in-person side of shows like Expo West. But, you know, we're doing our best to try and come up with things that help the community and, you know, help us all get kind of back to normal as quickly as possible. So uh, definitely reach out to us if uh, we can help in any way. Marty, you mentioned texting us, which is something that's kind of new for us. We have a new phone system that allows folks to send text messages to our cell phones. Now, it's not our cell phone number. It's our office number that redirects to our cell phones. Has that been a reliable sort of communication method for you? It has. I really enjoy using it. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's just uh, sort of you know, it's text messaging. Everyone's pretty familiar with it. It's just, to me, it's a, it's another way um, that people can reach me. It's whatever you kind of feel comfortable with. For me, phone call, email, text, it's sort of like all communication and just sort of time and place kind of thing. But yeah, I use that all the time and feel free to text me. Yeah. Uh, funny side note, when we uh, got that and turned it on, my first text messages were from Lance Collins on like a Sunday morning. So uh, yeah, I'm glad we got that feature. Lance Collins, <laughs> the founder of Fuse, NOS, Body Armor, Core, uh, Core Water, Adrenaline Shock. Great entrepreneur. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, some good news. We've got some plant-based frozen dessert, aka ice cream from Ripple Foods, a maker of pea protein-based foods and beverages. John Craven, you brought these into uh, the studio. Have you been munching on these? Marty, uh, he indulged. He indulged. Uh, yeah, Carol saved these for us. And yeah, I've been looking forward to trying these for a little while. But I uh, tried the, uh, what is that one? Cinnamon churro. Yeah, pass that cinnamon churro over here. Yeah, this is like, you know, the high test. Head. I think it says there's, uh, well, if you eat that whole container, there's 800 calories in it. Certainly no halo top there. Really tasty stuff. I think that might almost pass for like, Real ice cream. Marty, pass, I know you haven't been on the show a lot, but you should pass a spoon when you pass the... All right, I'm going for uh, it. I got to agree, though. I was pretty impressed. Tasty yeah. stuff. The cinnamon churro flavor in particular. And it's all the pea-based protein that they've been using in the past? Is that what they're... What's the... Well, Ray, ingredient number one is guar... No, kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Riptine pea blend, water and protein. It's a proprietary blend of protein. I see. Is there a lot of protein per serving in that thing? Two grams. Two grams? That's, a, that's about on par with... Uh, you know, we'd get from 
ice cream made with milk. You're not eating this for the protein. I mean, if you are, there's, well, it's, that's not going to work out too well. I actually, uh, in episode 203 of Taste Radio, which came out last week, it featured an interview with Ben Van Leeuwen, who's the co-founder and CEO of Van Leeuwen Ice Cream. Yeah, please send ice cream. That's yeah. <laughs> some brand based in your, They are killing it with their vegan ice cream, actually. And it was yeah. interesting to hear him talk about how they set out to make a great tasting ice cream that happened to be vegan versus a vegan ice cream, which I think, you know, has got to be the approach for a lot of these things. You know, a lot of these plant-based formulations, number one, first and foremost, you know, ice cream is about taste. And, you know, I've, not to knock on Halo Top, but like, you know, who eats an entire pint of ice cream all at once? So you just, you know, a few scoops, as long as they taste amazing, I'm good with that. Yeah, I see you munching on a cone around the office here now and then. Cone? Cone, yeah. I don't, I don't eat ice cream cone. I'm not, I've never been an ice cream cone guy. <laughs> Spoon in the cup. I gotta say, cone is probably the most sustainable way because you're not leaving any plastic waste behind. So uh, that's true. Extra woke points for that. Now, given the circumstances of Expo West, a lot of companies were encouraged to use prepackaged samples, i.e., a fully wrapped peanut butter cup. Now, if you happen to have extra ones because the event <laughs> has been postponed, you can always send them to us. We're always looking for snacks in the office, like some of these unreal <laughs> peanut butter cups that we have on the uh, table today, which are great, as well as some of the from the ground up butter squash treats, mm. uh, tortilla chips, those are. And obviously, if you were planning on exhibiting new products, brand revamps, anything that is in the category of new at Expo West, please send them to us with love to see them, try them in person. Uh, we've seen a bunch of those uh, photos of them, but can't really eat or drink a photo, right? You could try, right? <laughs> Good stuff. All right, it's time to get to our featured interview for this episode. That's with Bill Siff, the founder and CEO of Goldthread, a brand of plant-based tonics formulated with herbs, spices, and adaptogens. A clinical herbalist, ethnobotanist, and licensed acupuncturist, Bill launched the brand in 2016 as an extension of his apothecary and herb farm in Western Massachusetts. Since then, Goldthread has emerged as one of the leading brands in the developing category of adaptogenic beverages. The brand is distributed at natural and conventional retailers nationwide and recently announced placement at 970 Target stores across the U.S. In the following interview, I spoke with Bill about his background as a practitioner of natural remedies and how his experience led to the creation of Goldthread. He also discussed the upside and challenges of building a new category, effective methods for driving consumer education and brand awareness, defining metrics for success, and how ingredient trends fit into the company's innovation strategy. Hey folks, it's Ray with Taste Radio. I'm on a call with Bill Siff, the founder and CEO of Goldthread. Bill, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You know, I didn't even ask you, do you go by Bill or William? I assume it's Bill. Bill's good. William's good. Either one. Do you have a preference? Well, William's probably better on when it comes to it. You know why? Because it has two syllables, William Siff. So it sounds better when you're doing recordings or phone calls and so on. So, William, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Goldthread. What is the company? When did you start it? Why did you start it? Well, Goldthread is the name of the beverage company, the plant-based tonic company that we run. It's been around for a while, the name Goldthread. It was, it was prior to becoming a beverage company, I used the name Goldthread for my clinical practice and retail apothecaries in Massachusetts, as well as a 
pretty extensive herb farm that was in Western Massachusetts. So it was kind of like a, a combination of businesses all wrapped up into one. They were all related and they were called the Gold Thread Herbal Pharmacy, the Gold Thread Herb Farm, and Gold Thread Clinical Practice. About three and a half years ago now, we switched over the model from those things to a beverage company. It's a brand that had some, you know, name recognition in the Northeast where I had been practicing and working in different ways for 12, 13 years. And so we kind of kept the name as we moved into this other business. You said a few years ago, you shifted your business to focus on beverages. Why did you make that shift? The reason to switch over to a beverage company, first of all, would be that we were looking for a model that could scale. We were getting a lot of success in the different aspects of the business, working with plants, plant-based medicine that we were doing in Massachusetts, the retail apothecary, the herb farm, the clinical practice, an educational program that drew people from all over the country. And it was really a bumping, successful kind of uh, business model that we had. But we decided, thought, you know, the, the thought process was, well, how do we scale this? And so we did a lot of thinking about it and head scratching and, and, you know, did some design processes and brought people in to help us think about it in a deeper, more granular way. And it came, the beverage came out of that process. And it had been something that I had noticed for, you know, 20 years of being in this space that people really need to try medicinal plants to get an understanding of what the value proposition is. You know, it's much easier to have people experience it directly than to sort of just talk about it, you know, in an abstract kind of way, even if it's beneficial. It's really once people kind of can adopt it and utilize it on a daily basis that you see actual tangible health benefits, you know, ensue. And I've been doing that in the retail apothecaries for many years. I had all kinds of formulations that I would make in mostly tea blends, you know, various kinds of blends of raw herbs blended together for different problems, digestive issues, immunity boosting, endurance and energy, sleep and stress. You know, there are different facets that affect everybody, no matter who you are or what level of health you have. Most people come in to a, a doctor or a clinician of any kind with the kind of same types of complaints or issues that they want to focus on or enhance in terms of their overall health. And so I made these blends and they got really popular. And after a while, I would just dole them out by the pound and I would, you know, have the people that were working for me, someone would walk in with any kind of digestive problem and I'd say, just give them the digestive tea number one. Someone walks in with an immune issue because it's getting cold out. People are starting to get flus and coughs and so on in New England. They're thinking about how do I boost my immunity and protect myself from getting sick. And I'd say give them immunity formula number two and so on and so forth. And they got really, really popular. And that was the for prototypes of the beverages. So I knew there was a market for this because people are looking for enhancement of their health in a simple, straightforward way with plants. But there's not sort of a, uh, there wasn't really an easy delivery mechanism out there. And so I started to see the beverage space in general when you'd walk into a Whole Foods or any kind of store where, you know, you see the beverage space transforming almost into a hybrid of a beverage cooler slash supplement, you know, aisle, because there's a lot of functionality showing up in the beverage space these days and, ha you know, for years now, but certainly when we were starting to look at this, but I hadn't seen any plant-based beverages, the kind 
the sort of the ones that I had envisioned or the ones that I had been using for all these years as a clinician that took great effect, you know, and, and a lot of popularity. <laughs> so I saw a gap there and that's why we decided to go into the beverage space in the first place. You just see it, you know, transforming. And so we're kind of inventing the category as we go, which is appropriate because I've been doing it for 20 years, you know. Let's talk a little about this notion of building a new category. A lot of times I will talk to entrepreneurs who are coming out with something that is so differentiated from what's currently available on the market that they sort of self-describe their brand as a new category. It's difficult to create a category, though, if there's only one product on the market. Have you worked with other brands that operate in the same sort of plane or space as you? And have you come up with a, a common language for what you're offering and how to market it? Yeah. And I think that, you know, what, what you're referring to, it's not that we're the only one. We are, I guess you could say, among a small handful of beverages that are emerging to create this space where the medicinal plants, you could say, are the leader in the beverage, you know? I mean, a lot of brands, certainly kombuchas, will accent their probiotic digestive health beverages with medicinal plants, but they're more like flavorings and accents, you could say, you know? But they're they're not the main event. So that's what's unique about this, is this we this is the main event for us. That's why, you know, we have very concentrated formulations. And there are increasingly sections in retailers for tonics, for plant-based tonics specifically, functional plant-based tonics. And that category is growing fast. And that's kind of one of the ways in which we pitch the brand and pitch the brand and also where we should end up on the beverage self is in these plant-based tonic sets. And in fact, we often will suggest, you know, to retailers creating a plant-based tonic set. And then we might refer to a few other brands that are kind of what we see as similar enough to be a part of that set. So we actually, you know, and a lot of times we'll try to incorporate or bring in brands that we see as helping to build this category rather than seeing everyone as, you know, some competitor that we have to extinguish because the category, we're not at that point of saturation. This category needs a critical mass of other beverages to establish itself in a retailer's cooler such that they're willing to invest the space into it. So you identified beverages as the best delivery mechanism, or at least the delivery mechanism that was going to reach the most number of people. At the same time, the beverage industry is a very expensive business to get into. There's a lot of hurdles when it comes to getting distribution, getting onto shelf, do you have any sense of how this industry worked and what it would cost to launch and to scale? None. Almost none. <laughs> so would you have would you have done it? Would you have gotten into this business had you known? I don't know if I would have actually. I think that's actually a part of like I mean I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years, so what I know about being an entrepreneur is that you don't ask those questions in a sense, you don't ask those questions until you're until you're in it, everything reveals itself along the way. And if it did, if you asked and knew all the answers to all those questions, would you continue to have that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and plunge ahead? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, we had 
advisors who told us straight up the facts about the beverage industry. And, you know, we took that in, but frankly, we, we felt like the, the product itself was such a, the timing was right in terms of like what is emerging in society and what the trend lines are in the, in the industry and the reaction we were getting from the prototypes and from the early days at the farmer's market when we would pass these drinks around was so strongly positive that it was sort of like, well, let's just take one step at a time and keep going. And each step of the way, the next door would open and the next thing would happen that allowed us to keep moving forward. And so, you know, proof of concept seems like it goes on and on and on, actually, uh, for a long time, maybe till the very end, <laughs> you know. Did you have a sense of what the what the end would look like for, for Goldthread? I mean, you know, a lot of people get into this business looking at brands that have exited for millions or billions of dollars, and those are far and few between when it comes to the number of new beverage companies that launch every year and the ones that are still currently in the market. There's just not a lot of amazing exits. So for Goldthread, I mean, how do you think about success well, from the mission standpoint, the mission was to get as many herbs, spices, and adaptogens into people's bodies as possible, you know, as, as far and wide as we could accomplish that. From the mission standpoint, we are oriented towards increasing people's health and well-being. And that is an extension of the business model that I have been devoting most of my life to as a clinician, as a doctor of traditional medicine. You know, and that includes the suppliers and the farmers and the wildcrafters and all the people that are at source for our raw materials. And it also includes all of our employees. And so there's a lot of aspects of, I guess you could say, or um, benchmarks of success that I feel like we've already hit and we've already succeeded, you could say, and we are every day. And that makes me really happy and, and everyone in the company, same way. And from the standpoint of, um, you know, the more tangible things like we are constantly working our way towards profitability and with an eye towards we will be one of those companies that does make a successful exit. So really success for us does look like a very, very good value proposition for someone or, you know, an entity that wants to take this company further and farther than we can at a certain point. Profitability is often a key benchmark for success or the success of a brand, and it often comes with scale. Scale, though, for a product like yours, sounds like it would require quite a bit of consumer education. And as we all know, it's really expensive to teach consumers about how to consume or why they should consume a particular food or beverage but it's critical in your case. What's been the most effective strategy for building brand awareness and consumer education? What's been the most cost-effective way to do it? There's two interesting aspects to that. I mean, first of all, the demos. And I'm sure this is the common you know, answer with a lot of beverage companies. It's going to be in-store demos. I mean, getting people to try this product, knowing full well that it is sort of... Uh, you know, a category that people aren't necessarily familiar with entirely. I mean, it's on its way, but it's something that we have to do a lot of education around. So we do a ton of in-store demos. 
And that has been the most simple and effective, you could say, trade or marketing strategy that we've had. And it works great because once people try them, people have a, I guess you could say, a conception of that medicinal plants are going to taste bad or that they're somehow only something I should consume when I'm not feeling well, you know, because that's, of course, that's what, you know, anyone would think it's common sense, given how this kind of has gotten into our, into our culture thus far. But really, when you consider our beverages taste great, basically. And so when people try them, they feel like, okay, this is something that's familiar enough to my palate and something that is really makes me feel good immediately. So that's been great. And that works well. And then the other thing we have here in our, our headquarters in Santa Monica, we do something called a plant venture. And what that is, is when we go around the world to source a lot of the materials for the raw materials for these, uh, these drinks, which we do extensively, I always come back with a whole bag full of remedies and plants that are rare or strange or that they you know, are using in India or Korea or Japan or Africa that you would really never hear of. They're sort of not necessarily on the market or they're not really a commodity. And I bring them back, a big whole rucksack full of them every time I go. And I do like a show and tell. And what happens is we invite people, and, you know, we have a pretty good list of people in Los Angeles. And, you know, we always have new people coming in through our PR and all that kind of stuff. And we all get together and we have a really beautiful space full of plants and, uh, you know, twinkly lights. And it's, you know, a gorgeous headquarters where we have set up shop here. And I do an educational program where I pass around a lot of these remedies that we've obtained from all over the world. I make special tonics and elixirs for those events that are not part of our, uh, our beverage line, but they're made in the same way. But they're sort of curated and special and one-off recipes. And we cater them. We have really nice food and plant-based meals and so on. And we bring together a really diverse group of people who often have a lot of followings or are somehow like connected or interested in this space. And it's about an hour, hour and a half. And I talk about traditional medicine and I talk about the value of using medicinal plants in uh, everyday life. And they get to taste and try all these exotic, strange recipes in this beautiful setting. And if people encounter the brand through that experience, they become evangelists. And then a lot of great things have come from that. We get invited to go do various conferences and speaking engagements, and we find our way into different, you know, on-premise businesses, you know, as a distribution point for our drinks in that way. So, and that gets us a lot of, you know, I guess you could say inexpensive PR because they're such a unique experience. So I'm capitalizing, I guess you could say on my my first trade, my real trade, which is as a plant-based medicine expert. And that has a value in and of itself. And then when they find out, when people find out I'm the front man for this company and the chief formulator, they can really trust the brand. And so that that's what we've been doing. And then of course we do the traditional PR and we have a good marketing team and all the rest of it. But those are kind of some interesting ways in which we work with this. Two things that are critical for success for, for the success of any brand, any food or beverage brand that is taste. And it seems like today, some sort of functional benefit, but there's another big component to beverages as well. And that's refreshment. How much of the refreshment component do you have to think about when you are promoting the brand? I'm glad you asked that. Actually, you could say that was like the third pillar 
these are incredibly refreshing and easy to drink. And I think exactly what you're saying, like from a clinical standpoint, from someone who's been in this space and I've formulated products for the supplement companies and so on, I've been giving these to people for decades, you know, medicinal plants with the assumption or the, the necessity that they consume them on a regular basis in order to get the benefits if they want to cure their particular issue. So I, I had to think about refreshment. I had to think about not just like I can get it down if I have to, because I want to get the benefits, but more like, do I actually reach for it? Do I seek it out? Is it something I'm actually going to consume without even thinking about it? Is it going to replace the thing that I've been consuming that might have, you know, negative effects on my health, you know, because you really have to think that way. This is not something I don't myself subscribe very much to the beverage market being a place where the functionality of something is going to supersede the flavor and the refreshment aspect. I mean, that's not why people go to the beverage cooler. That's more why people go to a supplement aisle. And I don't think that the brands that try to get something into someone, get a beverage into someone or get someone to change their habit or adopt a beverage based upon solely its effects or perceived benefits is going to work certainly not in the conventional space or across, you know, at, at scale. And that's very clear to me. It was clear to me when I started. And that's why I made these things so that you would find them indistinguishable. People would find them indistinguishable for the most part from all the best things that people like to consume anyway, you know, uh, whether that's teas or even to some extent juices and so on, really flavorful, refreshing things, lemonades, you know, and so on. So that's great. And that is what they're like. That's, I think, probably the secret sauce to their success. You know, if you can pack functionality into something that people want to drink, that is the key. And that's where experience comes in. It doesn't just happen. You know, people, what I see out there a lot of times is just like, I see the functionality and I think that's a good try. And maybe someone like me would consume this thing based upon that. But good luck getting everyone else to do it because, you know, maybe once, maybe twice, and that's it, you know. Certain functional ingredients have penetrated the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Turmeric, obviously, is an example. Are you innovating with ingredients that are becoming more familiar? Or would you say that? you know, working with esoteric ingredients has really helped you stand out on the market? Well, I would say that like, it's a combination, you know, our, our skew lot, we have 11 SKUs at the moment, which is a large number for a fairly young company. For sure. And yet our company, I mean, our SKU line in our like proposition is in, in terms of functionality is one in which the variety is a, is a value added proposition, you know, like that we can cover the, a range of effects with this SKU line is valuable in itself and they're very colorful and they really make a nice display palette when you're looking at a beverage cooler they jump out i would say that when it comes to the ingredients we have um hawaiian ginger and we've got a turmeric based drink and we've got uh, matcha from japan and these ones you know that are already being sort of well received in the larger conversation around health and certainly beverage are you could say, well, they're, they're working off of that familiarity and they do very well because of that. And, you know, the more, the better kind of until there's a saturation point, you know, is kind of like going to drive that acceptance of those ones. And then there are other ingredients that we know or see as 
on the cusp of trending, like Shazandra Berry and Tulsi um, and, you know, Ashwagandha and so on and so forth, that they're kind of like really getting into the mainstream. They haven't quite gotten to the place where I would say they're like uh, at their peak of exposure and acceptance. But we have a lot of experience in this space, you know, 20 years of experience in the plant-based medicine world. And so having some foresight or some, I guess you could say, were some assumptions about where it's going based upon lots of reasons, you know, like, for example, I was in Korea not too long ago, and you can get a Shizandra Berry drink in the Starbucks in, in Seoul. And it's, you know, endemic to the society. It's everywhere. It's kind of like cranberry juicer to them. You know, it's everywhere. Here, not so much, but it's coming because there's always an eye towards what's the next best thing, what's the next greatest thing that we can add. You know, America's always innovating and looking for the next trend, the next special ingredient, the next, whatever you want to say, I don't want to say magic bullet, but the next thing that's going to like bring my health over the top, you know, you can just see it. It's a, it's a really burgeoning thing, uh, the health space in this country. So there's a finite amount of, not, well, I wouldn't say finite, but there's a, you could say there's like a, some low hanging fruit that's obvious. And then there's some things that are a few years out. Some of it has to do with the trend lines in general. You know, turmeric became really popular in this culture, largely because inflammation is such an issue. And turmeric is so great for helping to moderate inflammation and inflammatory patterns that why not get it more of it into our diet? And so you look at the trend lines overall, you know, there was a time when echinacea got into the cultural conversation and that had to do with, you know, people's desire to get over their colds and flus faster so they could get back to work and not be so sidelined with things like that. So you see larger macro trends and try to adjust around that as well. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. You do have a pretty remarkable brand, and thank you for uh, sending some product to our office prior to this interview. It's, it's really delicious stuff, and our, I advise our listeners, I recommend our listeners to check out Gold Thread if you have an opportunity. Thank you so much. It was really great talking to you, and thanks for all the cool work you guys do over there at BevNet. I appreciate that. Good luck going forward with everything, and hope to catch up again really soon. Okay. Take care. You too. That brings us to the end of episode 75 of Taste Radio Insider. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks to our guest, Bill Siff. Please subscribe to Taste Radio on the Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. As always, for questions, comments, ideas for future podcasts, please send us an email to ask at tasteradio.com. On behalf of the entire Taste Radio team, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.